And again, it's just a privilege to be here this morning. I'm wrapping up this uh, series this morning, and uh, it's really a powerful, powerful series. And uh, I, I pray that you don't take what's been spoken and what's been shared over the past several weeks and just put it on the shelf and go, hey, what's next? But you, you'll take to heart what God's been saying to us over the past, again, uh, several, several weeks. And um, the, the title of it, of course, is It Never Fails. We've been talking about the love of God, God God's love. And so this morning, I want to uh, approach this a little bit different. And so I want you to open up your hearts and your minds. If you're a note taker, just hold on. I am going to have some points. You know, the, some, how many in the room, uh, you just like the points? You know, it's like, oh, just hurry up, Pastor, get to the points. Because I love to write them down, huh? How, how many of us, I like that. I like, I'm a, I like, give me the point and, you know, just so I can write it down. I just feel better about writing it down. So, uh, so for those folks in the room, just hold still. I'm going to get there in a minute, okay? But I just got to build, I got to build up. up to it. And so I want to start this morning by asking this question, how many in the room loves comebacks? You know what I mean by comeback? Like a sports team was down. I mean, they were just like, they're, it's over for them. There's no way. And then all of a sudden, they come back. I mean, we love comebacks. Or people that, um, people, maybe for, you hear stories about people that were sick. I mean, they were like on the edge of death. And the, the medical field said, hey, it's over. I mean, just get per family, get prepared. And all of a sudden, they do what? They just kind of bounce back. I mean, they, 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 they come back. Our, our great battles. I, I love, I'm a veteran, and so I love history. I, have a, I come from a whole family full of veterans, so I love stories and comebacks about great battles. But uh, well, I think one of the most famous comebacks really is, uh, there's many of them, and that's what I'm going to talk about today. But one of my favorite comebacks about battles really is one in the Bible. And, and it's, it's about David and, and the, 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 uh, the, the time that uh, God's people, the army of Israel, were lined up against um, its longtime foes, the Philistines. And, and they, 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 they tried to get the battle going, but it's just like it would never take off. You know, they, they, they would line up and they would, they would scream. Screaming each other and they would holler each other. I don't know why they did that then, but that's just the way they did it before they fought. I guess it was to intimidate each other. And then Goliath, of course, would come out and he would do his things. And the army of Israel ran the other way. So that happened for 40 days until what I like to call day 41. And it was day 41 that David came back. And so when you read that a moment, you read that account, sometimes we go, wow, that was about David, that was about David beating Goliath. No, it wasn't. No, it wasn't. It was about David leading a comeback. That's what it was about. It was about David leading a comeback. Because again, for 40 days, every day, God's people were running the opposite way. They, were, they weren't just running from their enemy. They were running from their future. And so David stepped in that day, and, and little David, just a little shepherd boy, probably wasn't old enough to shade, he came on the scene on day 41, and he said, hey, that's it, we're not running backwards anymore. Today is the day of comeback. But this moment, I want to take you through a little process, and again, note takers, point people, I'm going to get there, hold on. I want to take you through, really, the greatest comeback of all. The greatest comeback of all. And I want to go back to the beginning. I want to go back to the very beginning of the Bible, the book of Genesis. And it was there, it was there that something began to transpire. Something began to happen. It was really an amazing thing. Is there anybody here that's ever wondered, what was it about Satan and what he offered that was so attractive to Eve? You ever wondered about that? What was it? Because 
Eve was sinless. Eve was perfect. Eve was pure. So she didn't, you know, take the fruit because she was full of sin. So what was it that Satan offered her that made it so appealing that she was willing to throw everything away for that moment? I'll tell you what it was. It was three pitches. He pitched her three pitches that day. The first pitch was this. It was, was Eve, did God really say? Is what God said, is that really the truth? You know what she did? He pitched it. She swung at it. Strike one. The second pitch was this. The second pitch that he pitched at her was his version of her story. Not God's version. His version of her story. He was like, girl, there's something wrong with you. Really? It was like, there's something wrong with you. You're you're not like God. So in order to be like God, you need to take a, you need to disobey him. Because if you would disobey him, that would correct what's wrong with you. So his version again was, you are broken, you're messed up, you're different. And guess what she did? She took a swing at the second pitch, strike two. Third pitch he pitched. She's walking by the tree one day. He started throwing two at her. He's walking by this tree that God said, don't even look at it, don't even touch it. Don't even go near it, Adam and Eve, because if you do, it's over. Right? She's walking by the tree. She looks and she goes, it, it has never looked so good as it does right now. Maybe she walked by that tree many times, but this day, this particular day when she went by, it was like, it's amazing. It's so appealing. <laughs> you know what she did? She reached up. She moved towards the tree and she touched the tree. She grabbed the fruit. Strike three. It's over. Strike three. It's over. So, so you look at that and you go, was it the tree Satan was trying to get her to look at? No, it wasn't the tree that he was trying to get her attention on. You know what it was? He was trying to get her attention on herself. He was trying to get her attention on herself because when she looked at that fruit, all she could think about was Eve being better. It would be so good if I was more like God. If it's all about me, she wasn't thinking about what God said, what God's truth was. She wasn't thinking about God's truth, uh, his version of her story, which was she was perfect. She, she looked at that and all she could think about was herself. She grabbed it. Strike three. It was over. Mission accomplished, games in the book, Satan's done it. But then there was this post-game thing that happened. It was in that moment that God came into the scene. And he had a talk, post-game. And here's what God said. He spoke to Adam and he said, Adam, what were you thinking, man? You're supposed to guard the garden. You're supposed to grow the garden. <laughs> you blew it. You know what, you know what, you know what, you know what Adam did? It was the woman's fault. Right? It was the woman's fault that you gave me. So basically he said, God, it was your fault. It wasn't mine. Come on. Right? 
It's one of the evidence of the fall of man. You're always passing the buck, right? And he talked to Eve. He talked to Eve, and then he came over to Satan. He said, Satan, I got something I got to say to you. I got something I got to tell you. You won today. But there is a day coming when there's going to be a comeback. There is a day coming that there will be a comeback. He said, you see this woman right here? There'll be a day where a descendant of hers is going to kick your head in. Talking about the greatest comeback of all. All right? So it's, I love this. I love this. You know, Isaiah said that from the beginning, God would declare how the end's going to be. I love this. God was so amazing. He said, I'm calling it today. There's going to be a day when there's going to be a comeback. So you move forward in time. Point take points. People, just hold on. So there's a point in time where Jesus had, I call it the I have a dream speech. Jesus, I have a dream speech. Some of the greatest speeches that have ever been given on American soil, on the soil, on the earth in general, has been about dreams. Right? And so Jesus, Matthew chapter 16, Jesus stand there, ask the disciples, what do people say about me? What are they saying? And then he said, what do you say? And then they gave him a variety of answers. Peter speaks up and says, I know who you are. You are the Messiah. Uh, Jesus says, Peter, you got it right. And then Jesus spoke his dream. He's looking towards the future. And he said, here's what's going to happen, guys. I'm going to build my church. Watch this. And the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. He saw the comeback. But he didn't just see the comeback because there was something that stood between him in that moment and the kickoff. And that was the death, burial, and resurrection. So he, he went through the death, burial, and resurrection because it was at the death, burial, and, res- and resurrection that the kickoff began. It was the kickoff for the comeback. Are you following this? So we know that that happens. How many believe and how many are thankful for the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ? Amen. I'm telling you, it was like the starting of the game. It was like the beginning of the comeback. And I didn't plan this, but today is... Well, Super Bowl Sunday. I didn't, I, I'm not that smart. So anyway, so he has this dream. And then there was another moment in time. The last apostle, the last of the original apostles, been banished to the Isle of Patmos by a Roman emperor. And it was not a plush place, right? He was not there like at a resort. He was actually sleeping in a cave and a pillow was his rock. Excuse me, a rock was his pillow. Right? So he wasn't there just to, on a retreat hanging out. He was there. And so he was seeking God, and then God gave him a revelation. That's where the book of Revelation comes from. It's not revelations, it's revelation. Okay? And there is a part of that revelation, Revelation chapter 12, that John sees something that's incredible. And what's amazing, unique about this is that, incredible about it, is that John was able to see what Jesus saw in Matthew chapter 16. But he was able also to see what God called at the very beginning of time. Because what he saw went something like this. And, and, and this moment in time really is after, after the church, the dispensation of the church was done. I mean, the church and what the church was here to do, it was in the books. We're done. It's over. And he's looking at the church. And you know what he said? He said, I'm telling you, here is how it all went down. Because he's looking from the future at us today. 
He, excuse me, he's looking at the, uh, from the future as, as, as how the, what God called in Genesis, all, how it all just really kind of uh, wrapped up, if you will. And he looked from Revelation 12, 11, and he said, I'll tell you how it all went down. He said, they, God's people, overcame him. They came back. And you know how they did it? You know how they did it? He said they, they, they did it by, number one, they did it by what? The what? Blood of the Lamb. He said, look, look now, he said, I'll tell you another way. You know, Jesus never mentioned how, God never mentioned how, but John says specifically, this is how it all went down. They overcame him, what? By the what? And what? And what else? No, 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 no. We already said that one. What's the next one? That's about what I thought. That's about what I thought. Because we got the blood of the lamb part. We love that part. We got the part about the word of their testimony. But, 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 but we, have, we have missed the third one. We, we've missed the third one. And John didn't say one or the other. He said all of them. Are you following me? All, all of them, that they, 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 they came back. But, but listen, God's people, as God's people, we're called to be come, comeback people. Can somebody say amen to that? That's just, that's what we're supposed to be like. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 8 and 9, it says, Though we experience every kind of pressure, we're not crushed. At times, we don't know what to do, but quitting is not an option. How many believe in that one? I don't know what I'm going to do, but I don't know what I'm supposed to do, but I know what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to quit. I'm not going to give in. I'm not going to stop. We're persecuted by others, but, but, but God has not forsaken us. We may be knocked down, but what? We're not knocked out. So what about this blood thing that he saw? They overcame what? By the what? All right, let's just stop real quick. I got to give a quick explanation. Do I have a timer anywhere? Oh my gosh, my time is just rolling. You guys started that like 20 minutes, right? They got 16 minutes left. So, so the blood of the lamb thing, let's talk about that real quick. It, it, so when you think about the blood of the lamb, typically from a Christian perspective in the church world, what do you think about? Variety of answers, Jesus. But well, let's, just go, let's just go with this, communion. Right? Take communion. Which leads us, the, the point of communion is so we get our eyes on where our eyes belong. And that's why that is Jesus. What he's done for us. The death, burial, and resurrection. Right? But, but, but do you think that God's people overcome simply because they take communion? Or from John's perspective that they took communion? Not that we should forsake taking communion because we should. But here, here, here is how God's people. Here is, what, here is what John was saying when it comes to the blood of the lamb. Listen to me. God's, what he saw was God's people overcoming by what the blood backed. And here's what I mean by that. There is no such promise that God has given that's not backed by blood. Does not exist. It does not exist. There is no promise, there's no truth that's given by God to people, to humanity, to a person that is not backed by blood. I can show you Old Testament, New Testament. I don't have time to dig into this right now. But if you go back to Genesis chapter 15, God has spoken to Abram, I'm going to give you a son. Not only am I going to give you a son, but from this one son, there's going to come an entire nation. You know what Abram said? God, that's a big promise. How do I know that this is going to happen? And you know what God said to him? Go back and study it. Go back and study it. 
go get some animals. And you know what happened with those animals? They were sacrificed. The promise came first, then the blood. Are you following this? So God's people, what God, what John saw was that God's people overcame the enemy, not by communion, but by standing on God's promises. And the Bible says for as many promises that we've got in Christ are all yes, and they're backed by the blood of Jesus. Amen. All right. They came by what? What? John saw it. Look, it's like the highlight reels. It's like you've seen the game, and it's the game that you're getting ready to go play. We can see it. He said they overcame by what? The what? Blood of the Lamb. It was really what? Truth. And it's so easy to prove that. How did, how did Jesus beat Satan in the garden? Truth. Are you following this? The, the second thing was what? The word of their what? Word of their testimony. Everybody's got a story, right? How many of you got a story? How many got a story about how you came to Christ? We all, we've all got one. But how many of you know all of those stories are different? I mean, the way I came to Christ is different. The, the, the way you, you came to Christ is different than mine. The way that we grew up was different. Our, our lives are different. And, and it's different because we have no control over certain things in our life. We had no control over who we were born to. We had no control over when we were born. We had no control. That was outside of our control so we all, we've all got these different stories, and, and, and Satan really loves that. But, but the truth is, listen to this, church. The truth is, from God's perspective and his story about us, it's all the same. We are all the same from God's perspective. Can somebody say amen to that? In other words, his version his version. Listen, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me, listen to me. Difference will always divide. What did Satan, what did, what did Satan do to, uh, to, to, to Eve? He pointed out, he pointed out what he wanted to believe was quote unquote different. Ultimately, that led, that led to what? Division from God. Separation from God. So, so, so different will always divide. Listen to me. And as a church, God's people, we have got to stop majoring on the differences in our unique story and start majoring on the story that makes us all of the same. And that's God's story. Can somebody say amen to that? Because again, the church came back. The church came back, not because of their own, our own story, because, but because of what? God's version of our story. And let me give you that real quick. Are you ready for this? I'm going to give it to you real quick. Here is, here's just like our little, our, not little, it's a big story. As far as a believer is concerned, Ephesians 2, 1 and 10, it says, for, uh, as for you, you were dead in transgressions and sin. Who? We all were there. We were all born separate from God. In which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. Watch this. All of us, all of us, all of humanity before Christ also lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our flesh and following its desires and thoughts. Like the rest, we were by nature deserving wrath. Watch this, I love verse 4. But because of God's great love for us, God who is rich in mercy made us alive with Christ. Come on somebody, that's our story. That's God's version of our story. That's how he sees us. 
I'm sorry it moved you that way, my child. I'm so sorry. God raised us. He raised us up with Christ and seated us with him in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus in order that in the coming ages we might show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For it is by grace you've been saved through faith. Watch this. And, and it is it's not uh, from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works so that anyone can boast. Well, I love this. This is God's version. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he's prepared for us to do, ladies and gentlemen, once again, that is God's version of our story. And that's how we overcome. That John said, that's how they beat the enemy. They stood on who they were in Christ. They, their identity was not based on what made them different, but their identity was based on what made them the same. He's talking about church people. I, I am preaching a lot better than you're responding, but I know you're just listening. You see, so look, we, we, we've preached the fire out of and, and we've believed we've believed so much in regards to they triumphed over him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. And we stopped there. I have talked to pastors recently and they asked me, hey, what's in your heart? I'll share. Hey, as you're, what's going on? And I ask them, hey, can you quote Revelation 12, 11? Yeah. And some kind of fun around a little bit and they're like, oh, yeah, I, I said, let, let me tell you, I'll get you started. They overcame. Oh, yeah, I remember that one. Overcame by the blood of the lamb and what? The word of their testimony. They stop. Every one of them. Except your pastor. He passed the test. I think he's heard me preach this before though. I think I'm a bit suspicious. But every one of them. Even church people that have been in church a long time. I'll mention it. They all say the same thing. Blood of the lamb, word of the testimony. But ladies and gentlemen, there's something missing. There's something missing in the church today. And it's the third one. There's a reason why stuff's not working as well as it should. There's a reason why we're not moving. We're not further down the road than we are right right now. Why? Because there's something missing. And it's the third one. But before I get to that. I want to give you a heads up. It's so common we step over it all the time. It is so common on the Christian landscape that we just walk over it all the time. It's a lot like this, this, this couple that lived in California. They bought some property. And um, every day that we go out and they would walk their property. And when they would walk their property, actually went up the side of a hill. They would, they would walk, uh, you know, every day. And they would see these these like rusty cans and rusty stuff laying around all over the place. And there was actually a rusty can that they recalled had been uh, nailed to this tree so long that the tree began to grow around it. And again, it's just, they're just walking along. They're stepping over this rusty stuff. And then one day, I think it was in 2014, they stopped. The, the wife just stopped and she was curious about this can. Partially covered with dirt, had moss over it. She went over to it. Her husband walked over to it. They had to scrape the dirt and the moss off of it. They dug it out of the ground, picked it up, and they noticed it was a bit heavy. They began to carry it back to their house. And they're they're sort of speculating what's in this old can. And and they they really arrived at the conclusion that what was in the old can was just some uh, old lead paint. And it dried and it was real heavy. They get back to the house. They pried the lid open because both both ends were still lid, uh, excuse me, still covered or sealed um, by the the tin ends. And when they uh, they pried the top off, they got the shock of their life. It wasn't lead paint. 
It was gold coins. They were uncirculated gold coins from the 1800s. And an old, rusty can that they had been stepping over for years. You know what they did? They went, I wonder if there's some more. (laughs) How how many would do the same thing? I'm like, Sandy, let's go back. Let's get us a metal detector. We're going to scan that whole place and just see. They found seven more canisters, seven more old cans filled with uncirculated If you know anything about collectibles, coins, you know that's big-time discovery. Big-time treasure. $10 million worth. They had been stepping over $10 million for years. Why? Because it was just, it was in just an old, rusty, common can. There was something super valuable and, and something that was just... Looked so common. I'm suspicious. Not suspicious. I know. Suspicion is the wrong word. I am convinced that for years the church has been stepping over something so common. But it's the key to our comeback. It's the key. Listen, I'm going to tell you. I've been doing this for almost 30 years. I have never been so convinced of something in my life. Never, as I am this. How many ever heard of the Apollo 13 mission? Remember that one? They call it Houston. Remember that? Houston, we've got, we got problems. This guy named Paul, he planted some churches. One of the churches he planted was in the church, a place called Corinth. He was there for several months. He goes to another church. He's there. Actually, he's in Ephesus. And he gets a Paul, we've got a problem letter from Corinth. Paul, we got all this craziness going on in the church. We got sexual immorality. We got division. People fighting. People arrogant over. They're trying to one-up the other one on the spiritual. uh, Who's the most spiritually mature? It's just gone nuts. So Paul's reading this letter. And as Paul is reading this letter, we we know that he's praying over it. He's thinking about how he's going to respond. Because he's got to get this right, right? The church is messed up. I mean, the church is, they're still doing church. They're still having church. But it's just not going nowhere. It's just like they're just stuck. He looked at it and he went, I got to get this right. And we know that he, he's, the, by the, he, he's starting to think a certain way. He's starting to see a certain way because in 1 Corinthians 3, 9, it says, we work together to serve God. Watch this, but you're like God's field. So he's looking at the church and he's like, here's the way I see you. Uh, you're, just like, you're just like a big field that God has placed it in front of us. That's what you are. You're just like this big field. And you know what? He was thinking the same way that Jesus was thinking when he told this parable in Luke chapter 13. He was thinking the same way Jesus was thinking when Jesus told this parable. Are you guys with me? Are you, is this boring you? Because please, please don't check out. He was thinking the same way that Jesus was thinking when Jesus told the parable in Luke chapter 13. And the parable goes like this. There was a man that owned an orchard and he was walking out in the orchard and he's looking at all the trees and looking at all the trees that were producing. He's got his right-hand man with him, the caretakers with him, the real expert on how to do all this stuff. And he's walking around and he goes to this one tree that he's gone to for three years and it's done the same thing that it's been for three years and that it has not grown. And so the, 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 the gentleman looked at it and says, here, maybe they'll put it up on the screen. Look, just cut it down. 
cut it down. And you know what? The caretaker said, no, 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 don't, don't cut it down. What, what does it say? Can we put that up there? Luke 13, 8. What, look, uh, look what he said. Don't, don't. He said, give me one. Give me, give me some more time. Give me, give me one more year with it. One more year. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work. I'm going to dig around it. Watch this. And he said, I'm going to fertilize it. You know why? Because he knew the tree was not the problem. The problem was the tree was not surviving the soil. There was a tree there. It was there. But the problem was the tree was not surviving the soil. It was not a tree problem. It was a what? Soil problem. When Paul looked at the church of Corinth, he knew it was not just a behavior problem. He knew it was a what? It was a soil problem. There's something missing in the soil. Talking about what's missing. Talking about the third part. Are you with me this morning? I'm trying to get through this as quickly as I can. Now listen, when Paul looked at that, he said, okay, got to get this right. There's something missing. They're like a field. There's something missing. There's got all this crazy behavior going. There's something missing. There's something missing. You see, I could talk with them about holiness. Yeah. I could talk with them. You just need to pray more. Why don't you just preach more? The leadership that I have, just preach more. That's what they need. That's what you need. Just preach more, right? That'll fix it all. What about revival? Do you write to him and say, we need re- you need revival. That's what you need. He could have said that, but he didn't. You know what he said? I know exactly what they need. That's a soil problem, and I know exactly what will take care of it. This is what I'm talking about. So common, so common, so common, so common. He said, they need, they need love. They need God's love. That's what they need. That'll fix the soil problem. You see, because he knew if, 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 if God's people, the church, you see, because when they all came together, they all brought their hearts. And God says, our hearts to him just look like soil. So when they all came together, it just made this giant field. He said, they need, they need something's missing, just like the caretaker in, 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 in uh, Luke 13. They need, they, the problem's not the, the, the behavior. The problem is the what? It's the soil. That's the problem. And so, just like a master gardener, he said, I'm going to prescribe something. Watch this. And that thing's called love. Listen, that is so common in the church today. We're just step over. How, how, many, how, many, how many songs do we sing about love? Huh? How many messages you heard about love? And it makes you feel good, right? But l- listen to me. Listen. Listen. That's, that's, not, that's not, it's the same love, but God's love is intended to have different effects. Because, because, because what we love and what we love to hear is it by God's love to us? Matter of fact, do you know why we have promises that we can stand on? It's because of God's love to us. Do you know why we have the story that we have? You know why? It's because of God's love to us and we love that. It makes us feel good, right? To know that God, and it should. We can't abandon that. It makes us feel secure. 
It gives us courage that if God be for us, it doesn't what matter who is against us. But here's what, I get, here's what I want you to see. That one too is about God's love. And because of God's love being what? To us. That's automatic. You can't change that. You can't stop that. God's going to love you regardless of how stupid you act. But, but, but this, this last one. It says that they overcame him by what? Blood of the lamb. The word of their testimony. And what? Could we put Revelation twelve eleven up? What was that? They did not love their lives. In other words, they weren't consumed with themselves. That sounded a lot like one of those golf. What are, what are those things? That's a golf tournament clap right there. You just heard something that, that could, could change your world and change your life forever. But, but listen to me. That one. That one. Is God's love being in us. And that's the choice that we make. That's the choice that we make. God made, God got the first two done for us. We receive that. But the third one is what? The choice that we make. That's what Paul said. Look, it's, I'm not talking about God's love to you. That, that's not what they needed. They needed God's love in them. Are, are you getting this? I'm, I believe this wholeheartedly. This is the missing element. We, we pray for revival. I want revival. And we will have, watch this, we will have revival, a revival like we've never seen before. It'll be the greatest comeback of ever. But it will happen when God's church determines in their heart that they're not going to put all of the responsibility on God, but begin to deal and begin to work and let God work. And they begin to cultivate God's love in their heart and stop being satisfied with God just loving them. But they determine in their heart they're going to get God's love in them. Some people say, we just need to get sin out of the church. We need to get sin out of the church. Because Jesus come back after a pure church. Holy. And he is. But listen to me ladies and gentlemen. Sin does not make a person selfish. Sin does not make a person selfish. Eve had no sin in her. She was pure. There was no evil in her. She was creating the image of God. Selfishness, though, will lead you to sin. So the question is this. Let me just say this. The problem at the church of Corinth, the problem that we have today, and I'm talking about this church, I'm just talking about church in general, can all be traced back to one thing, and that's selfishness. Selfishness. I'll go back to one thing. And there's only one thing that can kill selfishness. And that's love. You see, one of the point, point uh, here we go, write it down. Here's your first point. Listen to me. <laughs> People are like, dear God, he's just getting his first point. It's time to go home. <laughs> listen to me. Listen, listen. L- listen very closely. Love 
Love can be violent. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm not talking about the love that comes to you. I'm talking about the love that when you begin to get this in your heart, that love can have a violent effect. Because when you begin to cultivate it in your heart, you begin to take it personal, you begin to determine. Because let me just say this, whatever is in your heart, you put it there. You weren't born with it. It got there somehow. You either put it there by accident or on purpose. It's there. You weren't born with it. And so whenever you begin to introduce this love and you, you get tired of saying, uh, just going through the motions, all these things, just saying, God, love me, God, love me, God, love me, God, love me. I'm the center of the world, all this stuff. When you begin to go, you know what? I'm going to be a true follower of Christ. I'm going to be just like Jesus wants me to be. And I'm going to get his love that comes to me. I'm going to get it inside of me. There's a violent reaction that takes place because it begins to seek out selfishness. And you know what happens when selfishness and God's love comes in contact with each other? Selfishness begins to die, and sometimes it's not pretty. It's, it's, not, it's not pretty. But listen, God didn't call you to be comfortable. Are you following me? Aren't you glad that I got to come here today? He's like, well, I'm here telling God, telling God I didn't want me comfortable. I, I, don't, I didn't say that. He, he will comfort you. But you can get real comfortable with selfish. Listen, you can be selfish in areas. You can be selfish in areas you don't even know you're selfish in. But I'm telling you, when God's love begins to work in there, it just seeks out. And there's a violent confrontation that takes place. And if you'll allow it, if you'll allow it, it will kill what's been killing you. Yeah, it'll kill what's been killing you. You know what's the problem, you know what's the problem with your marriage? You got two selfish people there. You know, it's problem, you know, you know, you know, in our community and why, 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 why dads are walking out on their kids and families because he's selfish. That's why Christian dads. That's why, because he's selfish. He's about him. You know why there's sexual immorality and stuff like that? It's because it's about me in that moment. I'm not thinking about anything else but me. Selfishness. But if, if, if God's people will begin to cultivate this, what happens is there's a violent confrontation. It'll kill it. You know the beautiful thing about it? You'll become more like God. You're the most like God when his love, not because you're loved, but because you cultivate his love in your life. What, what, what would happen if the church... No, 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 no. I shouldn't say that, John. Would it rewind? I, I can't say. I can't say what would happen if... What's going to happen when? Because we've already seen the highlight reel. We know that at some point, we know at some point, God's people fall out of love with themselves and in with love with God enough to get his, God, his love in their hearts. We know that it happens, but the question is, when is it going to happen? When's it going to happen? It's not going to happen because revival comes. I believe it will happen after revival. I, I believe revival comes after that. Let me just say this. We don't need revival as much as we need rebellion against what's been killing us and stopping us as God's people. And that is selfishness. Then revival comes. So the question is this. And I'm wrapping up with this. I promise. I promise. Man, I'm going long. I'm sorry. Wrapping up with this. So the question is this. How do you get this love in your heart? Well, Paul wrote it down for him. He wrote it down for him, right? So he gets to chapter 13 and he introduces what will kill the selfishness. 
He'll introduce what's been missing there. He will, he's going to introduce what will correct the behavior that had been taking place. If you go back and read this, you'll find that basically said this. He said, um, you know, guys, I can have all the prophecy in the world. I can know all the prophecy in the world. I, I can speak in the tongues of angel and men. But if I, have, if I don't have God's love where? Not to me, but in me. I'm nothing but a clanging symbol. Just making a bunch of noise. Noise repels people. That's the reason people aren't knocking the, knocking the doors of our churches down right now. That's why. Just noise. Are you following this? He said, you know what? I can have the faith to move mountains. But if I don't have love in me, it's for nothing. You can know all the steps of faith. You can know, you know all the principles of God that are in the Bible. We've been, we've been living more by principles than we have a personal relationship. We've learned the principles. And we've we got to have principles. I love them. I th- I'm thankful for them. But he said, if I don't have love where? Not to me. In me. Doesn't matter. He said, I can give my body to be burned. I can give to feed the poor. All that makes me feel real good, right? Makes me feel real good. And we should be helping the poor. But he said, if I don't have love, God's love where? In me. That profits me nothing. Then he introduces the antidote. And today, I want to give you a very practical way how to cultivate this truth that's been written down for the Corinthian church, but also the church for today. Very practically, how you can get this love in you. This is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verses 4 through 7. We're going to have this, we're going to have this posted for you on, social net, on your social networks, okay? On your social platforms. I'm going to provide this for you, but it'll be on the social networks. So here's what we're going to do. And I know we can do this, okay? I know I've gone long. Do you guys forgive me? I know I'm a little bit long here, but I just got to get this out. All right? We can do this, church. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to read this. And when I read, I'm going to point at you. And when I point at you, you say your name. Don't say my name. I'm going to say my name. But you say yours. Because the only truth that will work in your life is the truth that you take personally. Right? Are you following this? The only truth that you take, the only truth that will really work in your life is the one that you take. What? You got, you have to make it personal. You ready? Here we go. So when I point at you, you're going to do what? So in other words, you're going to make it personal. This is God's love in us. Are you ready? John endures long and John is patient and kind. John never is envious nor bulls over with jealousy. John is not boastful or vainglorious, does not display himself haughtily. John is not conceited, arrogant, and inflated with pride. John is not rude, unmannerly, and does not act unbecomingly. John, because of God's love in John, does not insist on John's own rights or John's own way. For John is not self-seeking. 
John is not touchy or fretful or resentful. John takes no account of the evil done to him. John pays no attention to a suffered wrong. John does not rejoice at injustice, or, or, excuse me, injustice or unrighteousness, but rejoices when right and truth prevail. John bears up under anything and everything that comes. John is ever ready to believe the best of every person. John's hopes are fadeless under all circumstances. And John endures everything without what? Here's what I challenge you to do. I challenge you to take this and do this for 40 days. Do it for 40 days. Do it for 40 days. I challenge you to do it 40 days. And I promise you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to begin to see a shift in your life. And you know what? You're going to begin to see things differently. You're going to begin to behave differently. Things that you wanted to do before that were driven by selfishness, you're not going to want to do them anymore. And so you say, well, Pastor John, what should I do when I get to the end of the 40 days? Stretch it out to 40 weeks. Then when you get to 40 weeks, go ahead and do it for 40 years. Are you following me? In other words, just make it a lifestyle. Just just, just make it a lifestyle. And I'm not guaranteeing it. God guarantees, Paul said, it will never fail. It'll never fail to kill anything that's in here that's standing in the way of not just your comeback, but our comeback, the greatest comeback of all times. Father, we come to you right now in the name of Jesus. We love you so much. We're thankful for your goodness and your grace. And God, we just have to have you. And we do have you. But God, we hear clearly what you're saying today. That this last great comeback. It's, just not, it's not just up to you. It's up to, it's up to us, your kids, your children to make the decision. To allow what's been coming to us to get in, in, on the inside of us. To stop stepping over this common thing, thing called love. And to stop and open it up and see the treasure that it really is. Your love in us. And so, Father, we bless you and we thank you right now. That as we do our part to cultivate this love inside of our hearts that God... You'll do your part by the help of the Holy Spirit. You'll do your work in our hearts and our lives. By the help of the Holy Spirit. And begin to kill things that are killing us. Those selfish areas of our life that maybe we're not even aware of. But God, we don't want selfishness to stop us. We don't want selfishness to stop you. We want to be a part of the greatest comeback of all. The one that we know. Because it's the one that you called in the garden. And it's the one that John saw in the end. We want to be a part of that. Right now in the matchless name of Jesus Christ. And everybody that agrees is a great big.